What is going on, Way of the Fist listeners? I'm so excited to be back in the studio with my best bud, my best bro here, my favorite person to record with, even though he goes rogue sometimes and records without me. Michael, what's up, buddy? <laughs> hey, brother, brother, brother. What's going on, man? What's going on, You man? know, I mean, it's only been, I think, three times. Yeah, it's been, I think, three At, times. Maybe yeah. four. Maybe, maybe four. four. I think three, though. Two with Josh, once with Malene, James and Malia. You know, what can I say? Yeah, man, I am doing phenomenal uh We've got great weather out today. We're going to go out a little bit later. I think we're going to go hit up a Shoto supply shop, a different one than we went to. Sweet. Uh, Soyama-san gave, Soyama gave me the uh, gave me some deets on a, uh, a different place, the place that he goes to here. And uh, I'm looking to pick up a couple different brushes. Just go nice. check it out. I guess that means I'm going to have to come back so I can check out that, that shop. See, I'm going to go do an advance. I will okay. advance it for you, and then we'll figure out all the information, and then we can pass it on and make sure that it that it's legit and it's good to go. There we go. Um, yeah, man. And then what I'm really excited about, two things I'm really excited about. One is uh, very soon I'm going to be going to um, Japan again for Chinese New Year's, and nice. we're going to go hit uh, Tokyo for just a couple days. Um, see some friends there, take care of some stuff I need to take care of, and then head up to Nikko, a little bit outside of Tokyo. I've always wanted to go. It's up in the mountains a little bit, mm -hmm. so we're probably going to go spend a couple days there. Two, two maybe three nights. We're, we're still working on the schedule. And then we're going to take the train back down to the Kansai area and prob predominantly based out of Nara. Um, mm -hmm. We're going to go hit Nara. I've never been to Nara, and then spend some uh, a little bit through Osaka, maybe head out to Himeji Joe in Kobe one day nice. and uh, do that. We may go to Kyoto a little bit, but, you know, I'm kind of saving that. We'll see where we're at. Maybe, saving maybe, that, maybe go, that for go check out a special, huh? I'm saving that one for something, someone special. <laughs> you know, it sounds like there's a Christmas song, I think, that just right. should, should go along something with like that. that. But, um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. It'll be just... Just my wife and I going on a little trip. And then right after that, we are getting ready for the other thing that I'm looking forward to, the television event of the year, at least for the first part of the year, Shogun, Shogun. on FX. Yes. The new Shogun series on FX. If you guys have read one of, I will say, it's one of my all-time favorite novels. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shogun by James Clavell and not gonna lie it had influence on me when I was in high school and stuff and kind of tied into the whole interest in Japan and I remember watching actually before I read the book my parents were watching I remember my parents watching the uh, Richard Chamberlain original miniseries on television and it was like what is this never I'd never seen it like a samurai movie or anything before like that so there it was. That was probably one of the original things that I saw, other than like Ninja Mania that was going on in the mid '80s. Did you ever Ninja see that Mania. show, The Master, with Lee Van? Was it Lee Van Cleef or Richard Van Cleef? Did you ever watch that show? Ron Van Cleef. Ron Glen Ron Van Cleef. That's yes. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Master. The Master. Yep. Yeah, 
Jack Carr put that up on his Insta the other day, and I was like, oh my gosh, I used to watch that too. <laughs> Anyways, awesome. sorry yeah. for you listeners out there. But I'm sure some of you out there can relate. Some of you who are old enough, maybe, yeah. Some of you younger listeners, yeah, man. maybe not. So how are you doing? What's going on? Man, I'm good. I'm good. Um, you know, <laughs> Some I've been, other listeners, maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> yeah, no, everything's been really good. Um, training is going like phenomenally right now. I've been one of my, I, I'm not going to call it a New Year's resolution for the year, but one of my goals for this year is to do 365 days of training, doing something every single day to impact my karate or kobudo. So every single day I've been doing something and uh, haven't missed yet. And man, I've been loving it. Awesome. Yep. That's awesome. Yep. Have you been using that accountability app that I sent you? No, not at all. I've just no. been doing it every day and keeping just myself been doing accountable. It. Yep. No need for the app. You just no. hold yourself accountable. Uh, so what I've been doing is I've been like posting like mostly on Instagram. Like, hey, I've, you know... I'll put like a hey, it, like the date, like th- thirteen out of three hundred sixty-five or or whatever. I don't post it on every um, like post, but if I don't do it in a post, I'll do it in a story. But yeah, I've been I've been on it every day. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. I appreciate it, and I'm and I'm I'm actually been looking at been looking at your stuff and like, okay, what kata is he working on today? Because yeah. I think it was January first. Was it the first when you were working on Supa? Could be. <laughs> I was be. like, oh man, he, I don't know. Is he sick or something? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, is I he feeling all right? Me. I think you work- messaged me. You're like, hey bro, you okay? You okay? I, uh, I saw you working I on some soup at Empe today. Are you feeling all right? <laughs> yeah. Because I don't know. Maybe our listeners know. Maybe they, maybe we haven't mentioned it. Let's just say soup at Empe is not, and I repeat, not <laughs> one of Jonathan's favorite kata. Not, not, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> But that being said, I do understand oh, that man. sometimes the things that we like the least are some of the things that we do need to spend more time on. So uh, I've given it a little bit more attention since the beginning of this year. Um, you know, I'm not going to say like, yeah, it's going to be like ready to go compete or present to like the public in a like demonstration or, or anything like that. You know, just trying to give it a little bit more more respect and 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 uh, give it a little more attention to study it a little bit deeper. But it's not just superempe. I'm trying to do that with all of my karate kata as well as my you know kobudo kata as well. Um, although I will say, in the study of kobudo right now, and this is very strange for me, but my short weapons have been like really calling to me. Like I just want to flip side. I want to manipulate my tonfa. I have not really been spending a lot of time with Bo, and I know that sounds like kind of sacrilegious yeah. here, but <laughs> I know. Yeah, it, Michael's it, gonna call and you are a no go on this station. Yeah, it's it's been it's been really yeah. strange, um, but you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna mandatorily make myself do some Bo uh, this weekend and through next week as well. Well, that's good. I yep. <sighs> see. Man, I'm I still like Sai. I I I I can do some Sai, and it's easy for me to do Sai here when I'm at home and I'm not at the park or whatever. Because mm-hmm. Bo, the the ceiling is super low, um, and the room is much smaller than what I had before. So it's easy for me to train Sai uh, here. Uh, but man, 
there's nothing about nothing like the bow man like in fact i will actually i want to do bow more than karate these days that's this weird kind of like if i'm just out by myself it's like oh i want to practice this bow kata or i want to practice this and even not even necessarily the full kata just like let me pick this part and i want to work this sequence right um over again that that's kind of where i end up uh, finding myself um, more often with training these days that's where i was for the majority of last year um but i don't i don't know there's for some reason this you know all right. i've just been been enjoying the the short weapons so short weapons more but not flexible no don't uh you know a couple of people have messaged me actually on instagram and like hey will you, well, do you some, are flexible like, i saw that well, picture the other day I, me being flexible but people have been asking me to do specifically like nunchaku or or sansetsukon or something and i'm just like no <laughs> zero interest in in that currently yeah so, i don't even yeah even tonfa yeah. i don't i have tonfa we have tonfa i yeah. don't do tonfa i've been enjoying my tonfa um yeah. So, a bit more anyways. since we got back from Japan. Oh yeah. Was there yeah. some something that happened, or did they put some emphasis on, or was there something the Tomfa that that sparked that? We worked it a little bit, like as a group and with my students and Takshi Sensei, but um, no, there was nothing like special about that particular, uh, you know, trip or training regarding Tomfa. It just for whatever reason, since I came back, I've been enjoying it yeah well, well that's good yeah I, mean, I guess you can't always just do bow yeah i guess yeah but speaking of weapons weapons oh we're well, gonna yeah. talk about weapons i love weapons all kinds yeah yeah i think i think we have like a actual topic to discuss today right <laughs> we do have a little bit of a different topic today yeah. that revolves around weapons in many yeah. cases that uh was sparked by a a listener a friend of ours who i'm mm -hmm. gonna uh, we're going to keep names out of it to to just kind of to protect their privacy. And so this is, I think this is going to go a little bit different direction than the major than than our normal episode. And we're kind of, mm -hmm. you know, it, um, so it may be a little bit different and a little bit out there for our listeners. Um, but uh, it's something that that we've we you and I have talked about actually extensively over the years. Um, especially since 2020 karate uh was it 2020 yeah 2020 is where it really was it before really... that no it, well, it, yes, well, where it really kicked off but it really kicked off in 2020 even back we, to 2018 we, or 2019 yeah we, we did start talking about it earlier on but like 2020 was where we really really got into the meat and potatoes of it i think yeah yeah there yeah. is that there is that yeah. So what I what I thought would might be best for this is I I, I have I got a message and um, I'm gonna kind of there, there there's there's a few little parts of it and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of put it together along there but and it's it's sort of a follow up to our episode forty martial arts and law enforcement mm -hmm. um, and so I'm gonna there, there are some karate related questions that I'm gonna go over first. And, uh, but it ties also to the martial arts law enforcement, but then also to our self-defense episode. And so this person, the message starts, you know, as I reflect on my limited martial arts training, I'm very realistic of where I'm at and what I'm capable of and what I'm not capable of. Part of it is how do you 
evaluate your martial arts training for self-protection? Are you stress testing your art? If so, how? Do you train in a dojo or or are you on your own? And that makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And this person states that they feel better than the average person prepared for the random single unarmed attacker. But he could probably do better in, than the average untrained person to protect himself and or get away safely. But when it becomes to an armed attacker or multiple attackers, that really changes it and they feel unprepared. And then they talk on that they are considering getting a firearm. And some of their family have said, have questioned them about getting a gun and why do you need a gun? You've got multiple black belts. You know, what do you need that for? And so that, um, that kind of sparks the question about A, your training and how you evaluate it as for self-defense or for self-protection. And this person acknowledges in there that people train for a variety of reasons. And some of that is the cultural and historical aspects of karate as an art and that they even do individually spend time um, practicing kobudo. And we just started talking about how, you know, I even said that I spend more of my time practicing kobudo than karate when I'm just on my own these days. Mm. I'm training on my own and not teaching or instructing, coaching. And also recognizing that kobudo, training kobudo is not, you know, like swinging my boat. Yes, you're using a weapon and yes, you can use things for self-defense, but even that is much more of a cultural context focused training and so but we do want I did want to talk about because I thought this was a great topic to bring up about your martial arts and really looking at what it actually takes for uh, self-protection and then what role do firearms have in that what do you think yeah you know I think a lot of people come to karate initially uh, with this idea that they're getting like some insights into self-protection or self-defense or or whatever. Um, and we even actually had a, a discussion last year about the validity of self-defense within karate and the instructors that present karate for self-defense, uh, maybe as a marketing gimmick more than um, actual education. And speaking of that, like I recently saw that there's another uh, self-defense for women package that's being offered by an athlete that kind of sparked our discussion last year as well. So if anybody's looking for that, they can find it on Instagram, I'm sure. Um, But with all things, it takes intentional decisions and an intentional training for self-defense right so if you're going to you know join a karate dojo for the sake of self-defense and you're spending all of your time doing kata specifically like competitive kata and you're or even not competitive kata but nobody's giving you the breakdown of what you're doing you're not really accurately preparing yourself to go and you know manage yourself in a self-defense situation you might feel confident that you are and that's a that's a plus confidence is important but are you really preparing yourself to handle a real life situation so then the question kind of pushes further about pressure testing pressure testing is kind of a an abstract 
idea, right? Because when some people talk about pressure testing, they're like, okay, we're going to go balls to the wall and let's see like if your technique works against like a raging bull. Like I'm just going to attack you with everything I've got and you you have to defend yourself. Um, and that might be the most realistic option for you, but it's also probably going to be the most detrimental for you as well. Um, the approach to pressure testing has to be like incremental, right? We've got like this passive resistance to, uh, you know, more active resistance to, you know, full on resistance. And I'm, I'm now I'm actually trying to like hurt you. But the problem is, is nobody actually wants to hurt each other in the dojo because, when you get to that point where you're ready to start doing that, you've become friends, you've become, you know, quote unquote family or whatever. And the, the realism of what's being presented in that moment often fades for self-preservation, for, uh, you know, whatever. It, it, it just kind of fades away. Um, but I think that, I think there's room for it. And I think that, there are a lot of people who want to have that discussion. And I know a lot of people who are doing like, quote unquote, traditional karate, who are kind of venturing into BJJ, for example, or other, you know, arts to try to find the parallels of what's within their own art, so they can have a better understanding because where they're getting their information from currently is a shallow well, and they're not getting everything that they need to prepare themselves for the eventuality of an attack. What do, what do you think? Uh, I think that there's some very valid points there. And I, I'm i going to kind of go back to a phrase I've been using a lot lately in a variety of uh, situations, and that is predominantly clarity of purpose. Like, why mm -hmm. am I training and what am I trying to achieve? And if you're strictly in the, you want to have fun, you want to... Uh, exercise a little bit or maybe this is a cultural or historical context exercise that you want to learn you know some aspects of Japanese culture and things like that Okinawan culture we talked about your trip to Okinawa in our previous episode and things like that and I think karate you know is, is a great avenue for that I think the potential for karate to be give you the definitive hard skills to use in a self-protection, self-preservation situation are absolutely there, but the training has to be designed around that. And oftentimes in many traditional dojo, like kind of like what you referenced, that can be lacking mm -hmm. and it does need the pressure testing. And I'm 100% agree that though it has to be, when you start to talk about pressure testing, it has to be extremely well thought out, extremely well planned, in a systematic approach that is tailored to each individual. And therefore mm -hmm. the responsibility on the instructor and the teacher level is exceedingly high because the potential for injury is also that much higher because right. you're, you're, get, you're getting out of our, you're even going beyond you know, our typical kumite or kata practice or even regular bunkai, one-step sparring, three-step sparring, all of those things. Because the other thing that you have to figure out is when people really start to tap into that fight-or-flight mechanism, you don't know what's going to happen. Like, right. you don't know what the person is going to do, the, the defender, what they're going to do. You don't even know, even with your 
attacker role player, you don't know what they're going to do. Their their actions need to be, they need to be even more trained mm-hmm. than the other person because they need to have, their actions need to be 100% scripted in many ways because if they start to react and then it becomes a confrontation or an actual fight, things can, can get out of hand very quickly. Um, and it has to be, like I said, a very well-developed, thought-out, systematic approach that like you the word you used incremental was was was, is perfect for that to describe to describe it because i've seen things uh you know when i was a police officer and i've seen training in in other avenues that were well intentioned but not as well planned out and it became Mm -hmm. ended up being just almost a brawl um because of that lack of and there were actually injuries that happened for for multiple people because the the training program itself was not uh, as well thought out as it could have been, and the instructors, the information that they were given, and that they start to get hot, they start to get involved. The person starts to get involved, it gets hot, and it can takes all the learning value out of that. So, um, it it needs to be you know the the the, the training needs to be. Uh, very well put together and everybody needs to be 100% on the same page. The, the other part, you know, to tying that. So I, I believe that stretch, the, the pressure testing needs to be done when you start to talk about that. The question then becomes, well, what do you do? You know, the question was, do you train on your own or are you part of the dojo? And, and then how do you do that? This is something that I've um, been dealing with for the last several years is, you know, especially when I'm around I, I, I don't have any peers around me that I can train with mm-hmm. very much. I have been an instructor the majority of the time. So my own personal training. So I have to do a lot more mental stuff. I have to visualize these type of, of scenarios and I have to work through um, what I would do or, or come up with contingency plans, you know, on, on, on reactions and multiple courses of action. And, I, I recognize that it's limited or not as good as it could be if I had had, you know, if we were, if we were living next door to each other, you know, for example, this would be much easier. We could go and we, we could put some pads on and we could have a discussion. Hey, I want to do this. Feed me this, feed me this technique, feed me that technique, feed me this, feed me mm-hmm. that. And then these are the variations that I want to work on. Did that work? Did that not work? And we could do that because we, you know, we communicate very well we can we're at we're at a uh, comparable level right in our in our karate skills and our karate techniques and uh, we would be able to to do that um, but because that doesn't happen you know that's where like I, I recognize that when I'm talking about these things it's a deficiency that I have in my training at the moment so I have to counter that by like I said visualizing uh, conceptualizing it working through resource working through and then like even just doing drills you know doing some shadow boxing you know working different combinations but not just oh i'm going to do this combination it has to be in response to that visualized uh, stimuli stimuli exactly exactly yep. yeah you know I, I, you've touched on a couple of things that i want to kind of circle back to um the first one you, you were talking about the responsibility of the instructor i don't think that the majority of instructors that are teaching, and we're just going to kind of limit it to traditional karate uh, for now. 
I don't think that they're equipped to be able to put together a program where you're going to be able to effectively pressure test, which is why we utilize Kumite a lot because you you can kind of go at it and you kind of get some of the um, some of that stimuli you know from your opponent and things like that. Although the the technique that is delivered in that moment is not going to be the same, but you are getting the benefit of a lot of things: timing, distance, spatial awareness. You know, processing the information that's being presented to you in a very sh- like finite amount of time, I think that's all beneficial to that discussion of self-defense, but it also allows everybody to kind of play safe uh, with the rules that are, are set in place. So it's it's restricting, but there's a benefit, right? And we've, we've kind of talked about that a lot dealing with the sport aspect. The other thing that you mentioned is that if you and I lived next to each other, we'd be able to do this because we're at a comparable skill level to each other. And I think that's something that's also incredibly important um you know as i've studied you know karate or studied other arts you know even getting into kendo things like this when somebody is at one level and another person is at you know a much higher level it's overwhelming it's overwhelming one person is able to keep their cool throughout the quote-unquote shit right where the other person is it feels like they're drowning and they're they're doing the best that they can uh but it's it's in those moments that the person who is, you know, struggling, the learning is not occurring either because the room to learn isn't present, right? Because they, they don't have the, the, the mental capacity in the moment to, to be able to process and learn. All they're doing is drowning, right? So I think that having somebody comparable to your own skill level is is incredibly important when you're talking about getting into this pressure testing thing. And for somebody who's in an instructorial capacity, much like yourself or myself, it is such it's so lacking, right? I could pick up the phone and I could probably call a buddy down in Hampton and say, hey, you know, let's let's get into this. But it's not something that we do regularly, right? If we're going to train, we, we typically are, are more sport oriented, but I do think that he would do that if I asked him to. Um, but I don't know. It's something that I like want to do all the time, I guess, uh, because I think our, our time is better spent on other things. Um, but I, I do think it's important to have a partner who is someone that you're able to communicate with and escalate incrementally in a situation not only that but somebody who has the the um the wherewithal to be like okay i'm gonna do this but then afterwards also be able to have a conversation with you and be like well this is why i don't think it worked yeah so that was that was a great point right there that, that you made um because some of the stuff that you mentioned we um we can you know, the, the Kumite aspect, for example, what it gets into, especially as it relates to the higher level person or the low, lower, you know, less skilled person, the more advanced person has more experience. They're mm-hmm. processing information faster because they're used to seeing it. And that goes back into kind of where we talk about the, uh, uh, the OODA loop, if you will, the observe, orient, decide, act that you hear a lot about in, in, in tactical circumstances, that's where it comes into play. And so if you're, you know, you're seeing what happens, you're figuring out what that means, you're determining a course of action, and then you're putting it into play, the more advanced person 
is able to process that information faster. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's that's exactly right. And you know, we, when you look at the person who, you know, typically when you have a, a more advanced person, they they tend to kind of like fight down a little bit. But if you're to just like unleash them on that, you know, you know, let's say you have a, a need on going against a, you know, a, I don't know, a seventh cue or something like that, you know, and just say, hey, just just go, just just go hog wild and see what happens. That that seventh cue person is not in a position to learn and they're not in a position to process. Right. On the outside, right. it's like, oh yeah, we're pressure testing, but with what return? Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's where, again, I think pressure testing is valuable and I think it needs to be done if you're, that's what you're really looking for. And that's kind of one of the rubs that I get about that or that bothers me about a lot of self-defense programs is they teach a couple of techniques that they pull out of from somewhere and then they do it for a couple of hours and then bam you're able to defend yourself now because you learned my favorite karate technique or something like that from my from my kata mm. um so anyways uh very valuable now i want to now i think is a good part to switch gears and kind of talk about the other question that the person asked about getting a firearm mm. and um since I've received this message. I've been in contact with that individual again, and they have indeed actually purchased a couple of firearms, and they are a couple. Uh, yeah, I know because wow, two is one, and, and one is none. One is none. Yep. Uh, and so, you know, they've they've asked me some questions about training and stuff like that, and they're continuing the process very methodically. They understand where their place is. They understand what they're doing, um, and trying to get the training at starting at the basic level, um, you know, taking the steps necessary to be uh, an asset to themselves and their family or whatnot, getting a concealed carry permit, learning how to manipulate the weapon, learning to do all that. And so kind of, I wanted to touch on, this is where, when we start to talk about self-defense, um, actually, I'm going to use an analogy here. I think I shared with you a, a while back, there was a video of Japanese, um, like samurai war replication, right. Or, mm -hmm. uh, uh, recreation action. And it shows them like everybody surging on the battlefield and then going so far, you know, they're doing, you know, these actors or these reenactors are, are fighting with their, their spears and swords. And then it gets to them actually guys throwing their and they're full in you know kabuto armor all of that you know just like you know a, a 16th 17th century japanese warrior would be and they're like actually conducting throws on the ground and pulling out their like wakizashi and like you know stabbing the person you know not in real life but you know not with real weapons but going through the motions of that and i want to highlight that we talk about karate in a self-defense aspect in a sterile environment whereas yeah. if we look at japanese martial arts in a correct and accurate historical context jujitsu and unarmed combat was the last thing was your last resort you have already worked through all the ranges of combat from mm -hmm. archery to the, the spearmen to your sword and you have been disarmed or taken to down to the ground or you've taken somebody down to the ground and now you're going you've used whatever other bladed equipment you have and then now you're actually using your hands right to conduct that combat and 
we have to understand that, that it was never meant to be the primary mode of combat, right? Karate or jujitsu, unarmed combat has never throughout human history has never been the primary mode of combat. Right. We, I mean, since, since we, since we first grabbed a stick and hit, and a, started hit hitting a, each other with it, sitting, he's with a <laughs> stick or throwing yeah. rocks and, you know, developing bronze and then iron and, and as technology advanced through human history, the hands quickly became not the first choice. Right. And right. so when we, it, when we really get into talking about self-defense, the last thing I ever want to be is where my last resort or my only resort is my hands. Right. Right. If, if I have the means within the law, within, well, predominantly within the law, as long as I have the legal ability to do that, if I'm serious about protecting myself, my family, the people around me, or the people that I'm charged with protecting, in my mind, that starts with having a, a, a firearm because mm-hmm. I need to be, if somebody's right on top of me in, in arms and spitting distance, I've already failed that. Now, yes, I understand that there can be situations where you're surprised, you walk into something, something happens, you're ambushed. There's a variety of situations that could happen that you're already in an extremely bad situation. But one of the things um, that I was taught a long, 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 long time ago is distance equals time equals safety. The farther away I am from a problem, the more time I have to deal with it, the safer I am because of that. Yeah. The way to mitigate that and to keep those out is part of that is, in realistically speaking, is to have that intermediary option of employing a firearm if the situation requires it. If I am in fear of my life, if I am in legitimate, you know, without getting into different law, state laws about what constitutes, you know, legal use of force and deadly force and all of those things, you need to... First of all, a disclaimer, you need to look at your state laws and, and things like that for your jurisdiction to make sure that you are complying with not just firearm use, but even self-defense, that you are using the the level of force necessary to protect yourself, but also that you are in compliance, right? You can be perfectly justified in putting rounds on somebody and they fall down, fall down to the ground, and that could have been a perfectly justified use of force or self-defense, and then, you know, you walk up and you, you do, you know, some safety shots and you put two in their face now you're going to prison for right. the rest of your life right so right. you just you know so that's where you need to make sure that you are in compliance with all the laws having said all that my personal belief is 100 percent. if you have the legal capability and the physical capability of carrying a firearm if you're if you're actually if you think that something if you believe that something could happen to you then 100 percent that's the way to go. There are a lot of responsibilities that come along with that. And I know we're going to talk, start to, to talk about some of them, but 100% that if you're reliant only on your karate, that this is going to be the end all be all of your self-defense, you are kidding yourself. Yeah. 100%. I, I agree with that. Um, I think it's a good place to start, right? Like you, you kind of start having that understanding of breaching the abstract of human conflict, Right. Because as a just a you know, a normal everyday person, we don't think about conflict day to day. We we really don't. It's not something that's on the forefront of our mind, but it happens all around us, no matter where you live, as safe as whatever city you live in, you know, it, it, it happens and it it does take you to think about that. And not only does it take you to think about it, it takes you 
to breach physical contact with another human being before you start kind of bridging the abstractness of that conflict, right? Uh, so my, my point in saying that is I'm all for people purchasing and owning firearms. I'm even more for people purchasing and owning firearms and acquiring appropriate training to familiarize yourself with the tool that you've purchased, the way to manipulate it, and the responsibility that comes with it. Because it once you squeeze that trigger, you can't get a bullet back. You, you just can't. You can't get it back. So there's there's a lot of steps that I think that people have to kind of, you know, navigate once they become owners of a firearm to be a responsible firearm owner with the, the idea of self-defense, right? Because I, I think that a lot of times people get a, get a firearm and they start carrying it and all of a sudden there's almost like this Superman complex, right? Like I've, I've got this, I've got this deadly force here and should, should I have to use it? I can use it. That's like saying, you know, you can go get into a street fight and win without any kind of training, right? You you might, you might get lucky, but your chances are extremely, you know, lower than if you were to have the appropriate training with that. Oh, yeah, 100%. You know, and that's where, like, the, you know, the last thing I said, there's a lot of responsibility that goes with that. Yeah. I mean, you, you need to approach it almost this in many cases the way you even approach your karate training you need to recognize that a you are a beginner mm -hmm. you need to learn the, the the you know the basic farm safety rules you need to learn basic manipulation you need to be able to understand the process the function of how it works what is going yeah. on the mechanical operation of it before even you start sending rounds down range at yeah. you know at your local nra range or wherever it is you're going mm -hmm. um your backyard if you're lucky or, or whatever the situation is there's a lot of steps to go um before you ever get to that one of the things that is huge for me is understanding that you know and, and this is where hey you, you 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 get a gun you like target shooting i mean i've been around guns my entire life i mean i lettered in high school on the rifle team so right. I've been around firearms the whole time and my purpose for carrying firearms has changed over time. Right. Or being around them, you know, right. uh, and, and that's gone. It's gone through a spectrum, you know, from, like I said, being on the rifle team in high school where the sole goal was to, to you know, to make all of those all of those little 22 bullets, you know, touch basically. Right. To be in the same hole to, you know, in, in when I was a police officer a long time ago for using it to protect myself and and or the people of the public around me. So so you have to understand and be 100% I talk about self-awareness as 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 a karate practitioner and understanding your skills and what you're what you're actually capable of doing and it's even more so when it comes to the use of firearms and when it becomes to actually now the discussion of uh, actually employing it you talked about the realities of conflict you need to understand what that actually put some thought and understanding into what that actually means. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about, you know, the, you know, everybody wants to talk about like, well, anyways, I'm not going to even, never mind. Another <laughs> topic. But, but you need to understand what it means to, to actually put rounds. You have to have, you have to make the predetermination that if necessary, you are going to harm another person. Mm-hmm that you will be put in a situation to where you, and you have to make that decision prior to, 
when you get up in the morning and you strap it on and you go to work with it, I mean, and that, that means just what I mean is you just go walk out the door with it on. You have already made the decision that if necessary, you are going to take the steps necessary to protect yourself, your family members, the public, whatever that situation is, if you so choose to get involved, if that situation erupts. But without that, if you don't, if you just, like you said, you just strap it on and, oh, now, oh, cool, I got it, you know, I got this new Glock and I'm, and I'm, and I'm good, I'm John Wick now, right? Nope, 100% not, right? There are so many steps before that that even come into play that, and it is a huge, huge, huge responsibility. So you need to think about the impacts about you personally, both criminally and potentially civilly, mm-hmm. the impact that it will have on your, potentially on your family, uh, and potentially your job, depending on what your job is, whether they, you know, if, if you're under, you know, criminal or civil investigation, whether you'll be able to keep your job, whether all of those things need to play a role in you determining whether you are going to carry and or employ that, that tool, because that's really what it is. People Mm -hmm. make a big deal about guns. The gun is itself is just a tool, right? It's no different than your fist. Right. But like you said, when you start going to, 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 to put it to work and you start sending rounds down range, you own every single round that goes. And so there's that, that personal responsibility, that liability on each and every one of those. And if you're not mentally prepared for that, and if you haven't trained yourself to that extremely high standard of training, uh, perhaps it's something that you should reconsider. Yeah. But having said all that, if you're willing to go through all of those steps, you know, in my mind, it's something that, that I firmly believe in is if you are serious about self-defense and you are serious about taking the steps necessary, because in today's life, in today's world, you know, and that's, and this is what's prompted this uh, question from this person. They had never considered having a firearm before. They never wanted one. They never owned one from my understanding, but the societal changes that have happened over the, the last four or five, six years in the area where they live in have really caused them to look at things differently. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what Michael thinks. Yeah, I, I'm 100% like on the same page. Um, you know, and I've, I've been shooting now for a few years personally, like I, I'll put my, my business out there. Uh, it's been a few years that I've been, well, let me rephrase it, taking it more seriously because just like you, I, I've grown up around it. I've been, you know, shooting rifles and, and things like that since I was a, a child is growing up in a family that hunts and, and everything like that. It's just part of, part of the culture that I grew up in with, with my family. But taking things a little bit more seriously in the discussion of self-defense and the eventuality of necessity, um, I'm only now just getting to a point where I still feel like I'm a beginner, but like ready to take like an, a, a, a new step in, in, in training and, and taking it even further and, and getting a, a greater, broader understanding of what it means, the responsibility of it all. Yeah. The, the actions employed, the, you know, and I'm not just talking about like gun ownership, but the ownership of everything that comes with it. And there's, and there's a lot to it, you know, and it's, it's not a, it's not a quick process. I mean, even myself, you know, I can look back over my life and I see those, those stages, right. As, 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 as I go through 
you know, if we were going to put it in karate terms, right? Like those Q ranks to, mm -hmm. you know, like an early, like, okay, now I'm beginning to become proficient in the use of this. And I could probably, uh, I would probably be all right in a situation too, where as it gets to, okay, now I am, now I am more comfortable you know if you wanted to say like you know nidan sandan yondan like i could i could put this to work if i had to but even that like i've had i've met guys up there who are like wizards right mm -hmm. they're like 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 they're like that like that gandalf or like maybe you know they are like with with their movement with their with their how it is how, and how they use it and how they employ it and i'm like oh my gosh that is like so next level and that's not even talking competition right i mean there's competition shooters out there that are you sit there and you look um but that takes a long time of mm -hmm. just like karate dedicated intentional training you know travis but haley right for out there he talks about thinkers before shooters right mm -hmm. um one of the first training classes that external training classes that i went to when i was a police officer long 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 time ago the instructor there talked about how a gunfight was 5% mechanical, 95% mental. Mm. And so that just highlights how all of the other factors play. It's not about sight alignment, sight, you know, sight picture, sight alignment, trigger press, follow through, all of that. That's just the 5% the mechanical that your body just needs to function through. The rest of it to, to survive that encounter and to prevail and all of those things is the 95% part. And part of that 95% as a civilian, even potentially even more than a, a law enforcement officer, for example, is all of those other things that I talked about. Um, because like when, it, when I was a police officer back in the day, when I, you know, when the gates rolled up and my car rolled out, you know, I accepted that potentially sometime in my 11 hour shift that it could be go time, right? Well, the average person when you're walking to the store and you're going to Safeway to pick up your groceries right most of them don't fi figure that into your into their calculation that you know it might be go time right like and so there's even more that you have to prepare for to make yourself ready for those situations anyways that's what I've got something yeah. to consider very very important topic definitely worth a lot of thought and input. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I, I, I kind of have this discussion with my students where I, I, I say, you know, karate is for everyone, but not everyone is for karate. Uh, I, I feel the same way about gun ownership. Um, I think just about anybody could own a firearm, but I don't think that everybody should. Uh, just putting that out there. And that, that might be, that's like kind of your, your choice to figure out um, as you're, kind of going through the things that we've discussed here you know the, the responsibility of it all but yeah that's i think that's about yeah, it 100 percent, 100 percent. i i like what you said there like say it again well which part the the everyone is for how did you how did you say that again oh yeah, yeah yeah so like just using karate as an example i think karate is for everyone but not everyone is for karate right like not everybody should be doing it um yeah and exactly. when they come to it it you know they realize on their own sometimes that it's not for them and it's the same thing with 
you know, right. We'll, we'll just say the two way community. Yeah. 100%. 100%. I agree. All right. So, um, you got any last words? Because I think that that's, that was a, a, a great way to finish a lot to consider. Yeah. I think that's it. All right. Well, like I said, this is a pretty heavy topic. There's a lot to go along with it. Um, the biggest point is you want to be le- legal. You want to stay within the bounds of what you're legally capable of doing, making sure that if you do make that choice, uh, that you put a lot of thought into it, you get the necessary training uh, and be and be safe. 100%. That's it. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. We will see you on the next one. Yes, sir. See you next time.